This is a Rooster Teeth production. Do near-death experiences give us insight into life after death? We search for the answers in the afterlife on 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we take a 30-minute, give or take, deep dive into various topics, places, people of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. Orthopedic surgeon Dr. Mary Neal died by drowning in a kayaking accident in 1999. She was pinned underwater beneath her boat for a little under 30 minutes before she was rescued. During those 30 minutes that she was completely underwater, she claimed she looked down on her body from a vantage point above it and felt herself travel to a place that she describes as heaven, where she encountered spirits of her departed ancestors and time seemed to slow down. While she was there, the spirits informed her that her son would die, although they didn't say when or how. Ten years later, her son was hit by a car and killed at the age of 20. She had been without oxygen for 24 minutes, and to this day, there's still no explanation for how she was able to be resuscitated and avoid brain damage. Countless other people have shared near-death experience stories like Neil's. No matter your beliefs, there's something extraordinary happening in these moments on the brink of death. And researchers, scientists, and religions have all sought to explain it, sometimes controversially. So we had a guest last week chuckling our way through an episode about death on cruise ships. (laughs) But this week, we are talking about near-death experiences, otherwise known and abbreviated as NDEs. Right, Jess? Yes. Something I've wanted to talk about for a while now, as these experiences are incredibly fascinating, yet obviously terrifying. Mm Mm-hmm. So what exactly is a near-death experience? Many people describe it differently, but an NDE is an experience, event, and or an altered state of consciousness that occurs during a life-threatening event, such as a heart attack or drowning. Some people describe it as seeing a bright light at the end of a tunnel, seeing and speaking to relatives who have long passed, having an out-of-body experience, or even meeting God. They basically happen when you're on the brink of death. Mm -hmm. You might even see your life flash before your eyes, much like what happens to me every time Taco Bell discontinues the nacho fries. But you know what, Jess? (laughs) They bring them back. (laughs) That's what's important, you know? Yeah, to bring you back from the brink. But Uh, I'm so sorry that... That you almost passed, you know. Many times. You, bringing yeah. back uh, episode one, you need to update me on your funeral arrangement so I can <laughs> That's pair. True. That's true. <laughs> Sign you to my will. There you go. Ex- exactly. It's it's really strange that I'm making a trust fund for another 30-year-old woman, but here we are. <laughs> uh, but just. The way you describe it, seeing a cozy bright light and talking to loved ones that you missed, it sounds fairly peaceful. Wouldn't this be a lovely experience, especially if you don't happen to die? Well, yeah, no, I honestly, throughout doing research for this episode, I've I found a lot of comfort in this. So mm-hmm. it definitely can be 
um, peaceful, but not always. Um, there are some people that do have negative NDEs and they describe them as agonizing and stressful. But this sounds kind of like what you went through, Taco Bell. <laughs> when I hit that drive through menu and I don't see it on the board and there's there's a line of cars behind me, there's no turning back. So I yeah. love that you went with that joke instead of the Gattaca joke. I <laughs> I wanted sorry. to surprise you because I, I, I wanted to surprise you. The Gattaca joke was good for, for the listeners. There was a Gattaca joke that we had planned, but I needed to keep Jess on her toes. It's, I, I learned this information from James when I was in L.A., where uh-huh. he told me his favorite movie was Gattaca. <laughs> James is my husband, my husband and number one Gattaca fan. Yep. Yep. It's a great movie. I, it is. It but is. back to a, a serious topic here. We'll talk yes. about Gattaca at the end of the show, probably. Okay. okay. How common are near-death experiences? Like, how often do people tend to experience them? I actually didn't know it was as many as it is, but in the U.S., an estimated of 9 million people have reported an NDE uh, recording to a 2011 study from the Annals of the New York Academy of Sciences. So more than you think. And we're not talking about, like, you almost walked into traffic and a car almost hit you. So you were, it could have been your death. We're talking about you are almost clinically dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which we'll get to later in the show. But mm-hmm. the oldest recorded professional slash medical near-death experience dates back to the 18th century as documented by French military physician Pierre-Jean Dumoncheau in 1740 in his book, Anecdotes de Médecine. Monchot describes the case of a patient who fell unconscious and upon awakening reported seeing a light so pure that the patient thought they were in heaven. And Monchot, being the doctor he was, speculated at the time that it was the result of little blood in the veins with an abundance of blood flowing through the brain. So that was his explanation for Mm -hmm. what transpired. Yeah, back in 1740. So -hmm. more than 200 years would pass before NDEs gained substantial traction in modern scientific discourse. In 1975, psychiatrist uh, Raymond Moody, they call him, there's a term out there, call him the father of NDEs, started studying NDE cases after meeting with psychiatrist Dr. George Ritchie, who told Moody that he believed that he had gone to the afterlife after being clinically dead for nine minutes. Huh. Moody then I know Moody then later wrote a book Life After Life you might have heard of it in which he coined the term near death experiences to describe these episodes and the label stuck. Yeah, this Dr. Moody he sort of became in the late 20th century the near death experience guy. Mhm. And he laid down these nine steps. He built this model that based on a comprehensive study of about 150 people where if you looked at these nine steps these would commonly be something that someone would experience during a near-death experience, but it might vary slightly on an individual basis. So Jess, you want to walk this through these steps together? Yeah. The first one is sudden peace and relief from pain. That makes mm. sense. It does. Mm-hmm. Number two, perception of a relaxing sound or otherworldly music. My singing. For uh, you, no, probably. Probably not. <laughs> consciousness or spirit ascending above the person's body and remotely viewing the attempts at resuscitation from the ceiling. So this is your standard out-of-body experience of someone floating above themselves. Like if they're on an operating table, they can see the doctors over them working. 
And through a lot of the research that we'll talk about later, this is this is very common. A lot of the stories that come out of um, these NDE experiences do recall um, out-of-body experiences and being able to see like the color of the shoelaces the doctor was wearing and the, when they were completely comatose on on the bed and, and flatline. So um, number four, the person spirit leaving the earthly realm and ascending rapidly through a tunnel of light and a universe of darkness. We've heard mm-hmm. that one. Number five, arriving at a brilliant heavenly place. Yes. Six, being met by people of the light who are usually deceased friends and family in a joyous reunion. Seven, meeting with a deity that is often perceived just as their religious culture would have perceived them or as an intense mass emitting love and light. Eight, in the presence of the deity, the person undergoes an instantaneous life review and understands how all the good and bad they have done has affected them and others. Yeah, that's your life flashing before your eyes right there. Life recall. Uh, Number nine, the person returns to their earthly body in life. This is after the near-death experience because either they are told it is not their time to die or they are given a choice and they return for the benefit of their family and loved ones or self, I guess. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the movie Soul? I think it's Disney. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. It's It's Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Those listening, if you haven't seen Soul, it's fantastic. Um, Anyway, that's very profound. I thought very, very profound. And if you're into what we're talking about today, it's that it's that. Yes, it relates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So we have this nine-step model, which is highly regarded and referenced across the discourse. However, despite over half a century of research and investigation, researchers still aren't entirely in agreement about what's happening during an NDE. Again, some just think of it as hallucinations of a dying brain, but others feel like there is more to unlock. Dr. Bruce Grayson, a psychiatrist, Dr. Kenneth Ring, a psychologist, and Dr. Michael Sabum, a cardiologist, helped to launch the field of near-death studies and introduce the study of near-death experiences to the academic setting. They conducted studies and research on over 2,000 people from 1975 to 2005 through their nonprofit organization. The International Association for Near-Death Studies, which is still around today and has uh, a little over a thousand members worldwide. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Bruce Grayson, at least as of 2020, he is still working in the field. Uh, In researching, I came across one of his latest books. I think it's called After, I want to say. Mm -hmm. Not to be confused with the young adult novel After. Oh my God. Just to make that clear. Yeah. I know I was confused. Were you really? No, I don't know what that is. Oh, it's a it's a book and it's a movie on Netflix. Oh, and geez. I'm it's a thing. Oh my anyway. gosh. No, I bet so many of our listeners are gonna be excited to hear you mention that because I'm sure it is at the very least a guilty pleasure for people, if not just a pleasure. <laughs> it is. Yes. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Bruce Grayson, he did not make after. <laughs> but I if I remember correctly, the book that he released recently is called after. And also the stuff that we're going to talk about later, the neuroscience aspect of research. I think now that that technology exists, he's getting more interested in that beyond just psychiatry, psychology. So shout out to Dr. BG. (laughs) (laughs) Holding it down. Yes. He's our new Mm-hmm. He's a new daddy of NDEs, oh. I guess you could say. Okay, anyway. Is that going to be on a t-shirt, NDE daddy? Yeah. It might we be. We just send it to him and ask him to like <laughs> come and talk on our podcast. Model okay. this. Uh, like Jess mentioned, 
the INDS. Another foundation is the Near-Death Experience Foundation, which was established by another doctor, Jeffrey Long. And both of these foundations have websites that document NDEs, and you can go and read them. They're submitted by actual people who have had them. And there are also four significant peer-reviewed studies that provide meaningful, verified evidence of the survival of human consciousness after clinical death, strengthening the case of NDEs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The studies of Dr. Sam Parnia, which was a four-year study with over 2,000 patients with cardiac arrest, found that 9% of the survivors, so 185 patients, you know, I don't know math, had an actual NDE. <laughs> an additional 30%, so 618 patients, had some sense of postmortem consciousness and maintained visual awareness for up to three minutes after cardiac arrest. Second study is from Dr. Pim Van Lommel, who launched a longitudinal study on NDEs concerning 344 cardiac patients in 10 Dutch hospitals. And it found that in 62 patients, one of five had experienced an NDE with some of these typical characteristics, like, like the ones we laid out for you from Dr. Moody, those nine steps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Third uh, study was Dr. Kenneth Ring specifically studied the NDE experiences of the blind. Oh, this is very this is very interesting. Yeah. Dr. Ring found their experiences conform to the classic NDE pattern. It did not vary whether the patients were born blind, had lost sight later in life, or had minimal light perception. Um, additionally, eighty percent of the thirty-one respondents claim to be able to actually see during their NDEs oh. or their out-of-body experiences, regardless if they wow. were blind, which is very fascinating. Yeah, see through, like their mind's eye started to feel like actual vision. Yeah, but being able to like, if you were having an out-of-body experience and you were blind, but then you were able to see the operating room in your, and then come back Visualize and be like, I saw it. all this. Yeah, it's like, mm. what the... Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, okay. It is. And and of course, number four from Dr. Janice Holden, which was a collection of 39 studies that covered 107 cases by 37 authors, in which 37% of these cases involved verifiable details that reported on near-death experiences. And it's also called uh veridical evidence, which refers to verifiable evidence that's a unique sort occurring during a near-death experience which can subsequently be verified when a patient has returned to their body. So, yeah, in this case, the example they used was somebody um, had an out-of-body experience and actually went through walls. So there was um, in her hospital room, or the patient's hospital room, uh, there was a window right out there. Well, apparently, while she had flatlined, she, her body experience like went out of the window and she was able to see an old, old shoe that was just sitting outside the window on the ledge that I guess no one ever knew about. She was like, oh, there was that when she came back, she was like, there's that old shoe out there. And they're like, what are you talking about? And so one of the researchers opened up this window, looked outside, and there was this old rotting shoe from, I guess, a construction worker years ago. And sure enough, they were like, uh, yep. You, wow. you did see that. Did you go through a wall? Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. What? How would you know, I know. otherwise? It, I, yeah. d- they didn't know. They didn't even know. But can so. you imagine if you're dying and then as you start to float away, you're like, oh, an old shoe? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is it? This is what's been waiting for me? <laughs> Man, that sucks. Yeah. I That's, really hope for more. I feel cheated. 
I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, something else that's super fascinating and get, brings chills to me is that oh. there are studies on uh, studies on NDEs that have also happened with children. This is the best part. <laughs> I know. This is the best part. They, yeah, there have been cases described. And I think, you know, these have, I'm pretty sure a lot of people have heard these type of stories before, but, you know, cases described where a child will come back um, from being, you know, flatlined for a bit mm-hmm. and mention a brother or sister who died in the womb that they saw or their grandparents who died before the child was even born. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, it's yeah. so creepy. And how would they know? And they also seem to describe it in very eloquent detail that seems kind of elevated for what a child would do. Yep. Uh, yep. Can I tell you my best case scenario? Yes. Best case scenario, I die an early and untimely death. I am reincarnated, come back as your child. <laughs> oh my God. Stop. I, Stop it. I, as your child, have a near-death experience. <laughs> then can retain these memories of my previous life as Elise. <laughs> and then I'm like, mommy, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> mommy, minutes, 30. And you're like, what? And the po- you've long moved on at this point. You have a new co-host. They're so young and cool. But um, look, Jess, this is what's happening. <laughs> I will be your child. I don't know if I feel comfortable with this. I don't. You need to ask me first if I'm okay with this, and you I'm not. Choose your children. Okay. Sorry. Ugh. Okay. Okay. But this. So yeah, you'd be a good child. the The stuff with kids is notably creepy. It is. Mm-hmm. On the flip side to all this, there's sanitosis, which is basically shock, but shock where. If, if you were playing dead, this is this, the state of shock that your body would go into to make it resemble as if you're playing dead. It's disassociation when attacked or broached with a traumatic event where you think you might die. So your body goes into this shock, this state of thanatosis, and it resembles death, but it isn't really. It occurs in insects, animals, and it, it's to kind of to avoid predators, your body simulating this. Mm-hmm. And I see where they're coming from, I guess, um, on them trying to describe NDEs. Thanatosis in humans has been described as po- as a, like a possible defense mechanism that kicks in during traumatic events such as sexual mm-hmm. assault or gun violence. But um, there does need to be some further research yeah. on this theory. I, I imagine it's difficult to gather evidence and to get the neuroscientific aspect of that in real time. And speaking of neuroscience, we're going to get to that perspective in a moment. But first, a few words from our sponsors. Today's episode of 30 Morbid Minutes is brought to you by BetterHelp. We talk a lot about some very dark and morbid things on this podcast. But when you need to talk about the difficult things in your life, that's where BetterHelp comes in. Whew, yeah, life is full of stress, changes, grief, and lots of twists and turns that may have us struggling to understand or deal with them on our own. I for sure can attest to that. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here to help in those moments of assessing your needs and matching you with a licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp isn't a crisis or self-help line. It's professional therapy done securely online and it's available worldwide. You can also log into your account at any time to send your therapist a message. That means you can also schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't have to sit in those awkward waiting rooms like traditional therapy. 
Ah, yes. BetterHelp is designed to facilitate great therapeutic matches and makes it free and easy to change therapists if needed. It's the best way to invest more into your own well-being because, let's be honest, you deserve some inner peace. User reviews have given BetterHelp glowing ratings like, I got more out of my first session in a month than at a traditional therapist office, and my therapist is full of wisdom and listens to what I have to say, making me feel cared about. Hey, I go to therapy. I know at least you've gone to therapy too, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you want to feel cared about. Yeah, I 100% support it. And I think all people should go to just, even if there's nothing wrong, just go and just talk. Yeah. And, you know, there's, it's good for you. It's good for your mental health. Mm-hmm. Go to betterhelp.com slash 30mm. That's better. H-E-L-P, and join over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Mm -hmm. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Yes. Special offer for 30 Morbid Minutes listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash 30MM. That's betterhelp.com slash 30MM. Today's episode is brought to you by Babbel. For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. I'm from Canada, and we learn French all throughout our childhoods and into high school. But if you don't use it, you lose it, Jess. That's true. But now, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that's sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language, or in my case, brush up on a language that you know. There you go. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with your family, or just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. And while other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, Babbel lessons are created by over 100 language experts, so real people. This is the part that I need. Babbel's teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective, and you can choose from 14 different languages to learn from, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. But what about accents, Jessica? (gasps) Oh my God, I love this. I love it. I'm so well, excited. <laughs> no worries, because Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and your accent too. Yes, there are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. It comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So start your new language learning journey with Babbel right now and save up to 60% off with your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash 30mm. Man, now because of this, I'm just going to book a trip to Italy and I'm just going to learn how to speak it. That's babbel.com slash 30mm for 60% off your subscription, Babbel Languages for Life. Mm -hmm. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 30 mm. Now let's get back to exploring NDEs. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked a lot about the psychology of NDEs, but to understand NDEs from a scientific perspective, it's important to understand what's happening inside the human brain when a person dies. And I'm talking about at death, what a clinically dead brain experiences, which is an extreme and irreversible loss of brain function, meaning your body isn't just dying, your brain is dying too. So your brain becomes starved of blood flow and oxygen. Scientists and doctors use electroencephalography, and EEG for short, 
to monitor and interpret electrical activity on the scalp. So they put those nodes on your scalp and that's how they read what's going on inside. And this reading reveals what's happening in your brain. And when an EEG flatlines, this signals that all brain activity has ceased to be, you are deceased. A study published in February 22 to Frontiers in Aging Neuroscience suggests that our brains may remain... Okay, I have to stop here for a second because I feel like the thing that we are getting so much out of doing this podcast is there are so many different journals that are very specific. Frontiers in Aging Neuroscience, that's very niche. That's very specific. It is. And then like during all of this, I got so overwhelmed with the amount of... Because I was looking into freaking published journals on yeah, like college. Same. And I'm like, I am getting so overwhelmed. There's yeah. so much science here. I have no idea. Well, I was so, I felt so lucky. I found the study that we're about to talk about okay. this February okay. 22 frontiers in aging neuroscience, because it's one very recent and two very fascinating, but it suggests that our brains may remain active and functioning during and after the transition to death. And the brain may even be the mastermind behind the whole ordeal, pun absolutely intended, there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love it. Love it. Is this one of those situations where, like, you your body could – no, never mind. I was going to say, like, your body in the morgue, you could still be twitching. But that's not the brain. That's just, that's like, your body. That's Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But there is I, – I was reading – in reading this study, I was reading about another study where – they were finding that rats after death, they still had gene mutations happening days after they were dead. Yeah, this is weird. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there needs to just be more. I'm so glad that, you know, people are still doing research on this because we, we got to know. Yeah. But let's this, get back into it. Yeah. yeah, this 2022 study, Jess, it was big and we have one man to thank, right? Yeah, thanks to Estonian Dr. Raul Vicente, who was monitoring an 87-year-old patient who had developed epilepsy. Dr. Vicente was using the EEG to analyze and treat the patient, but during one of these sessions, the elder patient had a heart attack and passed away while attached to the EEG. Uh Uh-huh. And this was huge and unexpected because scientists can't usually time a person's death and have their scalp hooked up to a set of electrodes just in case. So... This was really the first time that scientists were able to capture the brain activity of a person during their death. And there are also a ton of ways that the brain can be damaged, and it can be tough to come to exact conclusions about the neurological sequencing that happens during death. So that all makes this such an extraordinary case because Dr. Vicente's work gives us a pretty good idea, you know, what's happening when a dying human brain is dying. Yeah. And what Dr. Vicente and his peers interpreted from the brain scan were notable changes in the brainwave activity of the dying individual, specifically involving high cognitive functions. So functions like concentrating, dreaming, uh, memory retrieval, information processing, all the big functions associated with memory flashbacks were happening at the time of the death. So basically a big flare in this type of brain activity. Mm Mm-hmm. All the levels were off the charts in all these things. And and that means that the brain may be playing a last recall of important life events just before we die, not unlike near-death experiences where individuals have reported their life flashing before their eyes. That's what that is. Man, God, I feel like I'd have a panic attack if that was happening. Flashing before... Ah! Prior to this, was it, this was kind of my understanding of near-death experiences was I the idea that your brain just flooded with chemicals like endorphins and everything and 
almost like in a protective way, it was flooding you with experiences and thoughts because it knew it was dying. Which makes you wonder, which brings up that whole conversation that we'll get into later is just like, is there is there more to this? Because people have said that some of their flashing before their life flashing before their eyes, they mean they could see themselves as an infant in their crib all the way up to present day, like mm-hmm. literally moments that you do not remember. It's just kind of like, and here was your life. And yeah. All right. Goodbye. Yeah. And when I'm baby Jessica, I'm going to be able to remember so much more. Oh, my God. Oh, well. so much. This is this. This is not going to end, will it? <laughs> it's just going to uh, keep going. If anybody does want to do Elisa's Jessica Jr. fan art, oh, uh, man. we're not going to say no. I we're might. not going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And really make her cradling me. Yeah. Right. Anyway, prior to this, scientists did tests on rats and they saw results that were very conclusive across the board, especially during a 2013 clinical research project at the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. All the anesthetized rats in this experiment displayed a surge of brain activity within 30 seconds of induced cardiac arrest. Like their brains were flooding with chemicals like they were on steroids. And it aligns with the neurological responses of cardiac arrest survivors who have reported a lot of near-death experiences and also what happened in Dr. Vicente's case. Yeah. And you know, regardless of the science or what you believe, these experiences are still happening to people. Like even if it is some crazy, you know, ju- oh, it's just what's part of your brain, whatever. Yeah. It it completely alters their life for, for better or for worse if they're able to come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and more than life, it can alter your perspective, your values. Yeah. Some find that they have a greater love for life when they come back, more compassion for others and overall less fear of, of death. But on the morbid side, um, and this is my first thought too, was like others struggling to readjust to their everyday life, confusing loved ones with their new beliefs or even divorcing their spouses, mm-hmm. um, even really positive and euphoric NDEs can leave survivors feeling angry or just made to be alive again, which sounds so sad, but also like you get it, right? Yeah. You saw something incredible and you felt peace. And then now you're like, what? Yeah. You're fundamentally changed. I read about this study where they looked into the life of near-death experience survivors following their event. And Mm -hmm. they discovered that a lot of people who had certain jobs like police officers, prison wardens, jobs that sometimes tended to be more leading in to like violence or strife. They left those jobs. Like a lot of people left jobs that were not peaceful jobs, so to speak. No, that makes sense. Yeah. One of the biggest struggles to true recovery, though, is the fear that some NDE patients have of telling anyone about the experience. And they have this trouble making sense of it themselves. So they're reluctant to tell others about it. Like you said, Jess, they're afraid they'll be perceived as crazy or not believed. And it can be fairly isolating to have had this very profound experience and have no one who relates to it to talk to about it. But thankfully, in the modern age, there are online groups that can help as well as, you know, therapy. Mm-hmm. And what we mentioned above, those foundations, um, they, if you go to their websites, they also have like support groups in there as well. Um, if if you need to go, that's a great starting point. Um, but, you know, 
you think about like, is there any scientific after effects? Like actually something in your brain has something changed after this NDE. Dr. Jeff Long states that some NDE researchers believe that significant physiological changes are common after NDEs. This is, quote, I am not observing that in my research and neither are most of uh, the other researchers. The only well-conducted study that was suggestive of a physiological after effect following NDE involved electrical sensitivity published in the Journal of Near-Death Studies. The article stated that electrical sensitivity following NDEs was not established, only that their evidence was suggested. There have been very little good research in the possible physiological after effects of an NDE. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that probably is that you, like we were talking about with Dr. Vicente's research, he had this freak experience where he was able to track that. You can't track a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. to monitor Mm -hmm. it. You know, you don't know that someone's going to have a near-death experience to get a scan of their brain before that and one after. A hundred percent. Yeah. So as we talk so much about death, naturally, religion is also part of the conversation. So much so in how do different religions interpret near-death experiences. And Dr. Bruce Grayson, remember him from earlier? He was the near-death daddy or whatever <laughs> we called him. The, the, the most recent one, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said that a person's interpretation of these events often corresponds with the cultural, philosophical, or religious beliefs of the person experiencing it. For example, in the U.S., where 46% of the population believes in guardian angels, they will often be identified as angels or deceased loved ones or will just be unidentified while Hindus will often identify them as messengers of the god of death. This harkens back to our sleep paralysis episode where we talk about cultural priming Mm -hmm. and the idea of if you believe it, you will see it. That is true. But, you know, what I found fascinating is that when it comes to atheists or agnostics, they claim that it's a glimpse of life after death compared to before their NDE, where they didn't believe in anything that was after life. So- most atheists and agnostics after an NDE become spiritual. Dr. Oh. Maurice Rawlings, a cardiologist and author on the topic of NDEs, reported that he did not know of any agnostic or atheist individual from his research who, after experiencing an NDE experience, remained convinced that there was no God, no life after death, or that there was nothing else beyond the material existence. Which, that's so interesting because, you know, Dr. Grayson is just like, you know, you you will most likely see what you believe in. And I get that. But I'm wondering, like, if an agnostic person, you know, doesn't believe really in or an atheist, you're just like you're still experiencing these lights and peace and stuff. But maybe it is just maybe it is you're just literally going to what what is really there where we all came from. I don't know this bright light. We also go back to the same place. I don't know. I'm getting heady now. No, you are. You are. But. Let me assure you that baby Jessica, Jessica Jr., even though she will be hearkening back to these past life experiences, she will not <laughs> not believe in God after the near-death experience and will spell out God is dead in the little blocks in her playpen. Oh, so my gosh. You, you have that to look forward to as well. And you got her the blocks. How terrifying. That and you need a lot chills. of blocks to spell that out. You do. Oh my God, Elise. So why'd you get them? I'm going to have nightmares because of you. No. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I just never um, know. Like whenever we get the cut from Kelly, what are we going to keep in or what are we going to take out? <laughs> Kelly, keep the baby Jessica stuff. <laughs> oh, of course, classic civilizations and even pre-20th century thinkers had their own explanations for NDEs. From the Egyptians to the Greeks to Plato's Republic and even Ernest Hemingway, near-death experiences have been described and attributed in many different ways. Yeah, there are even reports of near-death experiences that date back to the Ice Age. There are cave paintings in France and Spain that depict possible afterlife scenes. Plato described it in Plato's Republic as, end quote, Here, an ordinary soldier, er, suffers a near-fatal injury on the battlefield, is revived on the funeral parlor, and describes a journey from darkness to light accompanied by guides. A moment of judgment feelings of peace and joy, and visions of extraordinary beauty and happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, across the ages, everybody's seeing the same thing. We are. Uh-huh. Or they are. <laughs> yeah. And of course, near-death experiences have flooded into culture and art. Some artists have depicted NDEs through their work, like 16th century Dutch painter Hieronymus Bosch. Bosch is known for exploring the afterlife in his work, basically representations of hell and heaven in most of his paintings. One of his most notable paintings, Ascent of the Blessed, depicts a human being surrounded by angels. And at the top of the painting, there's this big, bright tunnel leading up into the sky. And all these angels are ushering these human souls toward the bright light of the tunnel. And I think another thing that's interesting about your death experiences and this representation of the tunnel of light, it's so similar to the idea of a birth canal. If you think about like a baby coming through darkness into light, like almost like the book ending of life. Totally. But um, I'm just wondering us as, of course, the first thought that came to my brain is like us as babies, do we, yes. Do, (laughs) do, does the baby's eyes open to, to see that light? You know what I mean? Or are they closed and they come out? So do we ever actually see that? I don't know if we do. The light as a baby? As it, like when you are in the womb coming out. Like if we could go back into our memories, uh, do you think that would be part of the memory? Or would, <laughs> our, or the, would the first memory be opening up your eyes and looking at like the doctor above you? I feel like all I have to go by are the opening credits of the Look Who's Talking movies. Me too. So, you're right. That's all we have. But but to your <laughs> point, I think, well, I think when you're a baby, there's probably a change in light, but you see no shapes, right? You see... That's right. Well, there's yep. probably a change in in the light. I don't imagine. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I know as an infant you can't really see much. Yeah, but you'd be able to see darkness to light in a tunnel. I'm sure. Who knows? You know, there's something very poignant about the tunnel of the birth canal versus the tunnel of light at mm-hmm. the end of it. Give myself a yeah. little pat on the back there. I like that. I like <laughs> that. It makes complete Thanks. sense. Well, I have um, a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you, Elise? Do you believe in life after death? Mm. I know. It's a heavy question. (laughs) I think, well, my interpretation of life after death and what I believe or what I think changes, and it might change five years from now, 10 years from now. I am right now in the camp that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. So I do think that when we die, we get put back into the cycle. The Lion King taught us this. It's the circle of life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you won't have this feeling of nothingness. You'll just have this feeling of being absorbed back into this, 
you know, glorious universe. That's kind of the mm-hmm. the best I can, the most yeah, comfort yeah. I can give to myself with it, I think. Do you believe, Jess? I do believe that there is absolutely something. Um, and I don't know if I believe in a heaven or hell necessarily, or that we're getting judged in the end. But I do believe that we go somewhere else. I, I, I think, I think for me personally, it's a bit naive to think that our brains and this is all we have. Um, you know, I watched the first episode of Cosmos on Netflix one day when I was very high and I was just like, I, there's no way like (laughs) that there's, there has to be more to life than just, you know, this. Uh Um, and also just to, I, I, you know, I sit in church sometimes with my family, they are religious. And when they talk about heaven and God and Jesus, it sounds great. It sounds really awesome to go to a place like that Mm -hmm. after. I would love to to do that. I want to be a part of it. But I just don't know for sure um, if I believe in, in that religion specifically. But all in all, I do believe that there is something bigger and that we do go to a different place. I don't know where that is or what it is, but I hope it is peaceful. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we all go to, to Gattaca. <laughs> and full circle, Gattaca. <laughs> is it Ethan Hawke, right? Yeah, it was Ethan Hawke. Uma <laughs> Thurman. I, I, yes. We talked about some heady topics today. I don't think the purpose of this was to disprove or prove anything. Just ask these questions, open our minds, yeah, dig deeper. But according to Dr. Grayson, our guy, he's our guy, our guy, our guy. And I, I wanted to know what the doctors say, you know, so he says, um, I think that the evidence overwhelmingly points to the physical body not being all that we are. There seems to be something that is able to continue after the body dies. He says, I don't know what to make of it. Most of us are terrified of death and that permeates everything we do in life. When you lose your fear of death, you also lose your fear of life and of living to the fullest and taking chances. Wow. Well, it was nice to end on, you know. Beautifully said, Dr. G. Yeah. Dr. G. <laughs> What's up, my yeah. G? I know. That's what I, I say know. to him when uh, I don't bother him. <laughs> yeah, Because I respect not. him. <laughs> I know. Please continue doing your work. We want to yeah. know more. So, yeah. This is a fascinating topic. And I'm, oh my gosh, Jessica, we've talked about it just conversationally. But when we get into reincarnation. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Fascinating. I can't wait to cover mm-hmm. that. God, there's so many things that we have to cover that we are we will cover. We will. So, so just you wait. Mm-hmm. Thank you to everybody for listening, for sharing this podcast, for giving mm-hmm. us tweets and Instagram comments. We read all of them. Yep. And all the pictures, all the art. Oh, oh. so great. I oh. love it. Thank and you. The, the art to come. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. L- Ooh. Yes, they. I think they do, but... I don't know what to think. I don't know what to say. I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> and if you want to wear some beautiful art on yourself, we do have merch. We have mm-hmm. cool t-shirts that you can buy at store.roosterteeth.com. Yes, please go um, go grab some shirts from the store. We'd love to see them. And please send, I genuinely mean this, please send us pictures of your cute outfits wearing the shirts. 
Because yes, I know and the way that you style them yes. because I have no style. Same. So help and me. I, I know that they are they are goth little cute shirts, macabre designs, and I know there are going to be some people out there that are doing really really cool looks with them. Yeah, and I want to know 100%. how you do it. <laughs> same, same. Please, I need a visual. Uh huh. And until next week, please follow us on social media at Jessica Vasami at Elise Williams. <laughs> <laughs> and and at 30 morbid minutes and at 30 morbid minutes and you'll hear from us again soon yeah we can't next wait week. to see you again next week likewise oh you were talking to the audience yeah not you what what